Welcome home. There's always room for one more. Lots of exciting stuff happening at Keene, amen? Some cool stuff going on. Uh, you can peek into the fellowship hall on your way out today and kind of see that there is a, a large array of disarray in that location. We're excited uh, that we're plugging away on that project. And one other thing I want to mention as we near the, the kind of the midway point of the summer, perhaps, the end of June and the beginning of July marks the, the end of our budgeting cycle for 2021-2022 and the beginning for 2022-2023. And I'm thankful to your faithful giving to Keene Church because for a church budget, we only need about $11,000 right before the close of this month, which is right on target for where we've been for many years. Um, but we're thankful for your faithful giving, not only support of Elevate, but for the church at large, because giving to church ministries and operations makes sure that not only do the lights stay on, but we're able to fund things like Pathfinders and Sabbath School uh, and make sure that our schools are funded as well with strong subsidies. So consider that in your giving this morning and thank you for your continued support. It's good to be back with you this morning. Uh, Melissa and I were traveling this past week. We went to Kentucky to the Called Convention, uh, which sounds kind of boring, but it was actually a lot of fun. Uh, we got all of the, we didn't, they, somebody else did, but all the pastors of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists came together in one spot, which means there are about 6,000 people, pastors and families, in the Rupp Arena in Lexington, Kentucky, and we spent two and a half, almost three days uh, just being nourished and strengthened and supported by ministry leaders uh, affirmed in our calling. And it was just good to see uh, folks I've been to uh, seminary with and here at Southwestern and those that I uh, have the opportunity to serve alongside not only this pastoral staff, but others across this country and to be together in community. And the biggest thing that I came away from in this whole uh, experience this past week is that I'm not alone. And that's, that's significant. Uh, there's, there's one of me, and then we've got six, seven on our pastoral staff, and there's many hundreds of you. <laughs> We're not alone, and I'm thankful for that, that God has raised up a generation of pastors and ministry leaders that are faithful to his calling in 2022. And we were nourished this week. Here's where we're headed today. Uh, we are in the series, uh, Hello, My Name Is. Hello, My Name Is. That's the series. And today we're going to be introduced. Maybe we can put it up on the screen for you. Introduced to Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Hello, my name is the resurrection and the life. And we're going to be spending all of our time today in John chapter 11. So as we begin today, you can be pulling that up on whatever you brought to study this morning. Hello, my name is the resurrection and the life. And our engaged question this morning, how do you remove a shadow? Very practical question, right? One that maybe doesn't take a lot of thought, but it's the one that we're going to think about and draw upon today as we engage with Scripture. How do you remove a shadow? So I encourage you to think about that today throughout the message, and then we're going to come back to it at the end. So we're going to be in John chapter 11, and as we open up scripture today, I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. God of resurrection and life, thank you for sitting down beside us and introducing Jesus to us today, whether for the first time or for the hundredth time. Thank you for the introduction. God, as we look at scripture this morning to see what you have to say about resurrection and life, 
may you be in this space. And may the Spirit of God descend, bringing comfort and peace. We leave that in your hands. Looking forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. John chapter 11, verse 1. Put it up on the screen for you. Here we go. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary, John wants you to know this, this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, guess who? Your dear friend is very sick. It's a very familiar story to all of us, right? If you've grown up in the Seventh-day Adventist faith tradition or you've grown up in Christianity itself, this is one of those stories that makes it into the kids' books and to our regular Sabbath school classrooms. Yes, Lazarus, the one who died and was resurrected to new life in front of his family's very eyes by the very words of Jesus. And this is where we begin. Mary and Martha are distraught because their brother has died. And John wants you to know that Mary is the one who's, who, who, who gives out of a heart of abundance. There was no expense that she held back in taking care of Jesus and anointing his feet before he would go to the cross. This Mary, the one who loved well, is distraught. And they poke at Jesus a little bit. They don't say, hey, Jesus, uh, our brother Lazarus is, is sick. They're doing everything that they possibly can to make this request personalized to Jesus. Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Have you ever been there in your prayers? When you're talking to God and you make it, God, your friend is very sick. Now, you're, you're friends with that person, or maybe it's a family member, but you're calling upon God. God, I know you care about this person. Jesus, you're friends with Lazarus. You should care. He is very, very sick. And how does Jesus respond? We see it in verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Now, we can read this passage and be like, of course, we know the end of the story, but suspend your belief for a moment. Imagine being Mary or Martha or someone in that community that doesn't fully understand who Jesus is as the resurrection and the life. And Jesus says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. What do you mean? It's just a common cold? Okay. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. In verse 5, so although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Ouch. What do you do when God waits? When you've sent your request before God, you've, you've asked for healing, you've asked for resuscitation, you've asked for a, a job or for the bills to be paid, and the bill comes due and the money doesn't show up. Or the family member is in the hospital hooked up to all of the tubes and the doctors come and say, there is nothing else we can do. And we pray and we pray and we anoint and it seems as if Jesus stays where he is for another two days. What 
do we do when God waits? Jesus in this moment deliberately decides to stay where he was. And John makes the point, he says, Jesus loved them very much. Lazarus was very near and dear to them, but he stays where he was for another two days. Have you ever asked somebody to do something for you? Or maybe you've been the one who has been asked of to do something for somebody else? I remember uh, a couple years ago, it's kind of silly now in light of the story that we're looking at. Uh, But, you know, in Texas, we have to water our lawns if we want them to be any type of shade of yellow. Like, I'm not even talking about green. Like, to get it from brown to yellow in the heat of the summer, you got to water your lawn, right? I remember one night I had had turned our our sprinkler on in the the front yard, and it was just just a happy sprinkler, you know, just kind of going back and forth, doing its thing. And uh, Melissa says, hey, you you should probably go turn out the sprinkler because we're getting ready to go to bed. I was like, yeah, I'll give it like a couple of more minutes. And I got off onto something else, and we went to bed. And woke up the next morning to realize that we had funded a river that was now streaming down our street and was flowing off into a creek that's in our neighborhood and gone. Just money wasted, right? Have you ever been asked to do something and you didn't act on it? Have you ever been asked to do something or someone, uh, or you ask someone and they don't do it for you the way you think that it should happen? Now, it was just bad planning and forgetfulness on my part that you know, made sure that the street was watered. But for Jesus, this was a deliberate action. And he's, no, we've got to stay here for a couple of days. And there's a couple of things that we need to know about when God delays. God's delays are often inevitable. There will be, if there hasn't been yet, a moment in your life where God will delay, where he doesn't show up, where you don't see his hands on the situation that has wrecked your heart. But know this, the second thing, that though they will be inevitable, they are not final. God will show up. And Jesus says this to his disciples as he's speaking about Lazarus. He's saying, this this isn't going to end in death. God's glory will be the final ending of this story. And by the way, Jesus never needs our suffering. Don't think of God as a God who needs you to suffer in order to teach you a lesson. But when suffering does come, when evil comes in your life, God will not shy away from using it so that you can have a better experience and understanding of who God is and where his heart is for his people. Johnny Erickson Tata puts it this way. She's a paraplegic, prolific speaker and writer. I do not care if I'm confined to this wheelchair. Provided from it, I can bring glory to God. What you see is a dis- as a disability, I see as an ability. When the terrors of life come and the sufferings come, though in the moment I may not be able to see it, I can know that God will be glorified. And Hudson Taylor puts it this way, the prolific missionary that went to China. Trials afford God a platform for his working in our lives. Without them, I would never know how kind, how powerful, and how gracious he is. It's the trials in our life that help us see the character of God. And the story continues John 11, verse 7, if you're following along in your Bibles, it's also on the screen. Finally, he said to his disciples, After those two days, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, 
Only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can, wa- can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Jesus just clears it up right away, right? That makes total sense. Uh, little iffy. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. One of the most ubiquitous passages in scripture about Jesus' perspective of death. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And look how the disciples reply. Lord, if he's sleeping, he will get better soon. You catch it? Don't wake him up. He's napping. Sleep is good when you're sick. And they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, in case they hadn't caught it already, he said, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, get this, I'm glad I wasn't there. Let that sit for a moment. Jesus finding joy in the death of his friend that he wasn't present when they needed him most, when the healing was needed, God didn't show up and Jesus is delighting in this moment. He says, I'm glad I wasn't there for now you will really believe. Come on, let's, let's go see him. And Thomas, nicknamed the twin, or Thomas Didymus, which means the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. It's kind of a very like moral champion, right? It's like, well, If Jesus is gonna end his life by going back to this dangerous place, we might as well too. Come on, guys, let's go. And so Jesus goes to be with Mary and Martha. The disciples for a moment are a little bit hopeless, right? They've known that, that Jesus isn't liked by the community. It's almost a death sentence for him to go back. And they're like, well, we don't get this whole death thing, but if Lazarus is dead and Jesus dies, like, Uh, maybe we're off the hook, I don't know. But the story continues. As Jesus arrives in Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, if you had showed up while my family member is lying, dying in the hospital, if you had been there, if you had only shown up, my brother would not have died. Jesus, where were you? You were close enough that you could have made it. Why are you showing up late? Where were you when I was struggling with suicide or depression or when innocent lives are being lost in Ukraine, when the pandemic ravaged the the body of a dying loved one? God, where were you when the infertility treatments weren't working, when the, the job is lost or can we talk about the gas prices? Like, Lord, where are you at? Martha's a really cool character. And she gets a bad rap in scripture, right? There's another uh, place in the gospels where Martha's busy in the kitchen and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. And and Jesus says, Martha, come on, we can cook the meal later. Come and sit down at my feet. And Mary's heralded as this just amazing saint and Martha just kind of 
Don't be a Martha, right? I'm sorry if your name is Martha this morning. Here, but here's the cool thing. If your name is Martha this morning, this is where Martha shows up and like her shining glory is here. Martha is willing to say the things that we often think, but will never articulate. The things that are down inside of our heart. She's calling out Jesus. What a greeting, like, right? As, as Jesus comes up to her, she's got her hands on her hips. She says, Lord, you'd only been here. She, and then she pulls out the finger, right? The finger wag. My brother would not have died. She's willing to say the thing that is on her hearts. And there's a lot of different commentaries about uh, could Jesus have made it? Could he have not? What's uh, all the different chronologies about if he was in this spot and it could have been two days, it could have been four days, all of those things. Set that aside. God is not tied to our timetable or our schedule. He's got everything in the world to consider. And Jesus, in the next few verses that we'll see, doesn't even respond to Martha's concern. And we'll get there to a moment. But what we can learn from this moment is that God can handle your big questions. That he's big enough that no matter what you have encountered in this life, that you can take it to the feet of Jesus and God can handle it. Even three days late or four days late, Jesus is still right on time. And we continue the story in John 11, verse 22. This is Martha speaking, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She's got faith in Jesus. If you had showed up, this would be different, but I know I have faith that you'll take care of my brother. And Jesus told her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And then in verse 24, we learned that Martha was a Seventh-day Adventist. We're in scripture, okay, you get this? Like, this is how we know. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Good, faithful Seventh-day Adventist Martha was. Verse 25, it continues. Jesus told her these amazing words that shatter the hold that death has in our lives. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? She says, yes, Lord. Her Adventism comes out again. I have always believed in you as the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. She's like, yeah, 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 I get it. You're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna raise up Lazarus in that day, and then everything's going to be okay. But here's what Jesus is trying to articulate to Martha as he's introducing himself as the resurrection and the life. You see that Jesus is the present embodiment of eternal hope. That idea in your mind that one day everything will be made new, that your, your loved one will be resurrected in that last day. What Jesus is trying to articulate to Martha is he says, I'm here right now. I am the resurrection and the life. And though you think if I would have just shown up two days before, I am here at the exact time that you need me because I'm the present embodiment of eternal hope. It's not just about this moment in particular, but it's about eternity in general. And then we're, we don't have time today to dig into to Mary's part of the story, so we jump down to verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, that's Mary, and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. He's frustrated. People don't understand what he's trying to, to bring about in this instance. 
And then he asked the question, he says, okay, okay, okay. Where, where have you put him, he asked. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, then Jesus wept. One of the shortest verses in scripture. Some places just say, Jesus wept. And it's interesting in this point, there are some people that are at this funeral service that's about to be interrupted that were paid to be there to weep and to wail. Common Jewish practice when you were laying someone to, to, to sleep in Jesus, you would call them to you. You say, hey, here's five, $10, whatever it is, whatever the going rate was at that time. It probably, it, it hadn't inflated at that point. Uh, whatever it was, and would you come and cry and would you weep? The word that's used here when it says that Jesus wept was not the paid to weep word. The word here used for weep was the weeping that came from a a soul and from a heart that had been turned over because of the grief and the emotion that he was experiencing. On one hand, he's frustrated because people aren't understanding who he is in the Messiah. On the other hand, he has lost a brother. Jesus has lost someone that he loves. And today I would offer to you that Jesus understands our suffering. In this moment, as he's led to the tomb where Lazarus has been laid, Jesus understands our suffering. He knows what it's like to lose someone or something, and his heart is turned over inside of him. And then the story continues, verse nine. He says, verse 39, roll aside the stone, Jesus told them. But Martha, the pragmatic woman that she is, the dead, man, the dead man's sister protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? Martha's worried about what would come into their nostrils. And I don't know if you've ever smelled death before. It's not a very pretty smell. It lingers in a way that's just awful. I think it was about last year, uh, after one of our food banks, we had loaded up a, a cart with food and somehow a box of frozen chickens got on that cart and mixed of some of the other stuff. And that cart was moved into an unair conditioned room down in the annex. Yeah, some of you are like grimace right now. Yeah, you know, you know. And then here's the kicker. It was left there for about a week. And let me tell you, the smell in that space, you could barely move, you could barely think with how awful that smell was. And uh, some of the pastoral staff got it, got it cleaned up. I didn't know about it until afterwards. I would have been there in the scrum, or at least that's the story I'm telling myself. And that smell lingered in that space. Air refresher, clean the carpets, do all of the stuff. The smell is awful. And Martha's concerned about Lazarus' dead body. But what Jesus is concerned about is raising him to life in front of the people that are assembled there so that he will authenticate that he is king over death, that he is Lord and Savior, and that he has come to raise us up not only from our life of sin, but a life of death. Jesus in this moment says, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you would believe? And then verse 41. So they rolled the stone aside. And then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, and catch his prayer, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. 
but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Lazarus shuffles himself out. He hears the call of the Savior. There's some commentators that say that if Jesus had just said, come out, then the whole, the whole hillside would have just been alive with people. He speaks specifically to Lazarus in this moment, claiming that he is the resurrection and the life. And the beautiful part of this story is that one day, One day, in the same way that Mary, Martha, and those that are gathered around in that space, and Jesus himself experienced the resurrection of Lazarus, one day that's going to be true for you and for me. Whether we experience it from six feet under or with our feet planted on the ground, one day Jesus comes back and he will say, come out, my people. And there will be places all over this world that will give up their dead back to God as they have been asleep in Jesus one day. And I don't know how how death has affected your life, but one of the prerequisites to living on this earth in its current form is death. So whether it's been an immediate family member, a, a grandfather, a husband, a wife, a child, a cousin, a brother, a sister, whomever. You have an intimate experience with death, which is the unfortunate side effect of sin in this world. And even for my my wife and I, those of you that know our story, she was in the mission field as a kid and her parents and brother were murdered in front of her. And they're buried about two miles down the road here in Keene. One day I get to meet my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and my brother-in-law. One day. One day you're going to be reunited with that person that has been taken from you so too quickly. We're not meant to bury each other. We're meant to live together eternally. How do you remove a shadow? The psalmist talks about walking through the valley of death. No, 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 the valley of the shadow of death because the death that we die today is only a shadow. It's only a blink of the eye. It's only a closing of the eyes for our loved ones because one day Jesus will come back. How do you remove a shadow? You shine the light of resurrection and life into the darkness. That's what Jesus was doing in this moment with Mary and Martha. So no matter what experience you've had with death this month, this year, this decade, the one before, or the one to come, know unequivocally this morning that Jesus is what he says he is. And Jesus today is introducing himself to us as the resurrection and life. Today we have that hope. That from sin or from death, we can be resurrected and have life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Hearts are heavy. There are people that we have lost. 
but we're thankful for Jesus, who is the embodiment, the present embodiment of our eternal hope. Lord, we long for that day when you're gonna call out with a loud shout, it's time to wake up. It's time to go home. God, I pray that in the meantime, we'll live in the midst of a hope that holds on to your powerful resurrection power. And that what you did for Lazarus, you'll do for us and for those that we've lost. God, we leave those that are resting in you in your hands. And God, we look forward to seeing you and them very, very soon. In Jesus' name I pray.